Welcome to the Everyday Life Bible Study Podcast. I am Paul Church, your host, your guide as we take a walk through the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. I want to give you a quick little heads up. Uh, We are most of the way through this particular study on Jesus. And so what we're going to do afterwards is something that I've seen a lot of people um, asking for and talking about on social media lately. Uh, What with the coronavirus quarantines and uh, rioting that's currently taking place in our country, uh, people are talking about the book of Revelation a lot. Now, I'm not an alarmist. I don't look at everything as signs of the the end of the age. Uh, Yet I do know that we are heading that direction. And a lot of what we see now, um, we thought was inconceivable 30 years ago, 20 years ago. But we're seeing things now. And you're beginning to be able to connect some dots as far as, hmm, I wonder if this is what the book of Revelation is talking about. Um, So anyways, we're going to be doing a study on the book of Revelation after we get done with this study on Jesus. And I don't have a date to give you yet, but I want you to keep tuning in for that, okay? Uh, One, because the study on Jesus has been tremendous. But two, the study on Revelation is going to be... absolutely eye-opening, I believe, for you. This is a study that I've done a few times in churches, but um, I I have a different take, I think, on a lot of things that you might be or think you are familiar with when it comes to the book of Revelation and end times. I think it's really more of a book of redemption, a whole lot more than is a book about judgment. Not that judgment isn't there, because it's definitely there, but one theme that we miss in studying the book of Revelation is that redemption is one of the main themes, if not the largest theme of the book. So um, just keep that in mind and look forward to that being released. Before I get into it today, if you wouldn't mind taking a few moments and heading over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review, if you so desire to do so, that would be greatly appreciated. Those reviews really help to get the word out, really help to spread this podcast around and and bring it up in rankings for visibility so that uh, people can see it. Uh, I I believe that may be happening because I have been noticing more and more people, people that um, from, from all over that are starting to Uh, listen to this podcast and so greatly appreciative of that and so glad to welcome new listeners to the Everyday Life Bible Study Podcast. So I'm done with the preliminaries. Uh, Let's get on with today's study about Jesus. So far, that's what we've been doing, just taking a chronological, well, somewhat of a chronological look at his life as presented in the Gospels. Last time we we uh, talked about Peter's confession of Christ, you are the, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and, uh, and Jesus talked about giving him the keys of the kingdom, and you can go back and listen to that. That was very powerful. Today we're going to take a look at the transfiguration and some events following. Matthew chapter 17 is where we are, and so I'm going to read a lengthy passage here, uh, chapter 17 of Matthew's gospel, first 13 verses. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, 
one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then Jesus, then the disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? We're trying to put uh, these events together here, and, and here you are, but, but I think I would have remembered if Elijah would have came. But then Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So let's get on with this today. We could talk about the transfiguration in a whole lot of different ways. You know, uh, one, how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah standing there? I mean, uh, this was this was hundreds of years previous to this. You know, I mean, there's art and stuff, but I don't know how they even knew that, but, um, and they were there and, and conversing, you know, and, and while Peter was talking, it's good for us to be here. Moses and Elijah were there and Jesus was in this transfigured, glorified state. But after they'd fallen down, they got up and, and it was just Jesus back to normal. And I mean, what an amazing experience. And for the past few weeks, we've really, few weeks, few uh, podcasts, we've really focused on the disciples' perspective. They recently came to their own conclusion about who Jesus was. Uh, last week, we talked about Peter's confession, and he was kind of the spokesperson for the group when he, when he said that. And then God sealed it as they witnessed the transfiguration and heard uh, God's voice say, this is my son, unquestionable. Yet they had a question as they were walking down the hill. What about Elijah? You know, like I said, we, I'm pretty sure we would have remembered that if that Elijah would have been here, you know, I mean, we just saw him and and um, we've not seen him previously to this, but the Bible says, or then uh, the teachers of the law say that Elijah has to come before the Messiah comes. And we know you're the Messiah, so what, where was Elijah? And Jesus' response was, well, basically, John the Baptist was that Elijah. And it was more proof for the disciples. And I think, you know, it's wonderful how God gives reassurance along the way. Notice that these undeniable proofs, oh, now we see John the Baptist was Elijah. Oh, that makes so much sense. And then not to mention this voice from heaven, from the Father saying, this is my son. These undeniable proofs, though, they did not come until after they made their confession of Jesus. After Peter said, you are, on behalf of the whole group, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Why did it come after? Why didn't God just reveal himself at the outset? Why didn't Jesus just proclaim this and reveal himself and show it by all these tricks and miracles and stuff like that and tell his disciples over and over again, look, uh, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Uh, wouldn't that have been a little bit more effective? And why did Jesus tell his disciples, don't say a word about this until after, uh, until after he was raised from the dead? I mean, why? not just be out there with it. 
But we see throughout this whole scripture that we've been looking at, these all these gospels, and I hope if you've been listening along, you kind of picked up on this as well, that this is a story, yes, about Jesus, but it's also about the progress of the disciples, that they first come to this hmm, this guy could be somebody. Okay, I'll follow him. Then to, okay, he's definitely somebody. And then finally, eventually to, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. So there was this progression of of belief in him. And after they, it wasn't until after they made their own personal confession, I am convinced that's when Jesus and the Father give these undeniable proofs. I think it I think the reason why these undeniable proofs were given after the fact I think it has everything to do with what it took to get for what it took for them to get to this point and that is wrapped up in one word faith it had to be that way had to be that way for the disciples and you know what it has to be that way for us as well and so on the way down the mountain he's giving these undeniable proofs and and explaining more about about things and the disciples yes that makes perfect sense you are the messiah and then Jesus leads them into a teaching about faith you see up to this point they'd been on this faith journey and they came to their realization on their own and then they embraced it they accepted it yes i believe in who you are and then they received the undeniable proofs And then Jesus gives them and leads them into a teaching about faith right afterwards. And this is uh, right after the transfiguration. We ended in verse 13 there, going on in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 17. said, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples. But they could not heal him. The other disciples that did not go up on the mountain, right? And Jesus says this, You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private. The disciples who tried and tried and could not cast this demon out. And they asked him, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, first he says, you couldn't drive it out because you have so little faith. And then he says, well, Actually, all you need is a little faith. If you have the faith even the size of a mustard seed, then you can move mountains. So is, is this, no, no wonder there's so much confusion and frustration about faith. Is this a contradiction? It's definitely a problematic portion of scripture. He says, you couldn't do it because you have so little faith. And then right after that, if all you had was just the faith of a mustard seed, you could move this mountain. Seems like a contradiction. 
But he says at first there, he says it's, it's, it's this unbelief, this unbelieving generation. The core problem was unbelief. Now, these are the same people that Jesus sent out in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 1, I believe we had a podcast episode about this. He called his disciples to him. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then they came back uh, after a while and said, Lord, it was amazing. Even the demons were subject to us. This... this uh, I'm sure they did all they were sent to do, including drive out demons there, right? But now they can't. It's the same group of people. And the reason was a lack of faith, more specifically unbelief. Now, how could they, having done all of that, experience unbelief like this? Now, I've prayed for people, and I'm telling you, this is the truth. I've prayed for people, for healings, for miracles, and I've watched it happen as we pray. I've had those experiences where, where, Lord, would you heal this person? And by the time we were done praying, they were healed. They were touched. I've prayed for others um, who uh, left prayer the same and then came back later and said, God healed me like overnight or, or something like that. But you know what? I still feel intimidated in prayer when confronted with a serious situation. I've had that experience where I've seen it right there happen in front of me. I have had the experience where we prayed for somebody who was who was somewhere else and they reported back and they said, what time, would, when were you praying? Because man, that's that's when I felt God touched me and I'm healed. And others, like I said, who who came back later, whole. But yet I still feel this intimidation sometimes. And I think it's because we have this tendency to focus on ourselves, uh, or maybe I have the tendency to focus on myself uh, uh, instead of faith in God. And I think that's kind of the definition of what it means to, 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 for unbelief here. Just a little faith. You, well, let me kind of go back to that. I think sometimes when we get a little experience under our belt, you know, the first time it happens, it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, that was amazing. Look what you did. And then we get a little experience under our belt and we become known. I want to take, I want to go to you for prayer. And then somehow we think it's because of us and maybe something special about us. And so we start focusing on us instead of on the healer. And we put even a little bit of faith in us. It's not going to go anywhere. But if we have faith in God and we look to him, that's what changes things. Just a little faith, a little belief is enough because the miracle doesn't depend on us, but it depends on God. And God will respond to just a little bit of faith to show us who he is. And so the issue is not whether or not we have a lot of faith. It's whether we have any faith. There's so much teaching, false teaching going around saying you just, you need more faith, more faith. And it flies in direct contradiction to what Jesus says right here. Sure, he says, you know, you have a lack of faith, but, but, but what he's saying is you have unbelief. And then he says, look, you have, you know, if you just had a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. But we still kick ourselves because we think we just don't have enough faith. And that's a lie that focuses more on you than on God. So Jesus gives this inspiring speech about faith and moving mountains. Moving mountains. Something that had not happened up to that point. And if we're honest, we can say it hasn't happened since. 
Jesus himself, we have no record of Jesus moving a mountain. So why would Jesus give a teaching about faith, (laughs) you know, and, and belief and all of that stuff with an illustration that hasn't happened, that he didn't even do? Well, I think like like many things in the Bible, I think he's not really talking about literal mountains. I think it's a little metaphorical there. You you must know he's not talking about literal mountains here. I guess if he wanted, he created them. So I guess if he if he wanted to do it, he could surely do it. And if he wanted to use somebody to move a mountain literally, I guess he could do that, right? But in this passage, he's not talking about literal mountains here. You know, this this demon possessed boy that was a mountain. Well, we're supposed to take the word of God literally, aren't we? Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't use metaphors. I mean, when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, okay, he wasn't being literal there. We know that. Uh, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, thats that would be kind of disgusting if it was literal, right? And then he's elsewhere, he says, I am the door. He's not being literal there. There's no hinges or knobs installed on Jesus's body. It's a metaphor about who he is and his purpose. So when he talks about moving mountains, he's talking about moving the mountainous obstacles in our lives. And and honestly, that's the way it's preached. That's the way it's been preached. You know, that's the way we, we receive this message into our lives. You know, here it's it's casting out strong demons and we think of it as overcoming impossible situations and circumstances and there are those who say the reason you don't overcome is because you don't have enough faith and like i said that stands in complete contradictions contradiction to jesus's words that says you just need faith the size of a mustard seed it was a colloquialism of the day colloquial colloquialism basically just a common phrase used um, the size of a mustard seed, because it was known as the smallest seed, uh, means infinitesimal, you know, extremely small, but it grows, and it grows to the largest, one of the largest trees in the garden. And he says, that's all you need to be able to move mountains, just that tiny little seed. Now, we understand he's not talking about the Rocky Mountains. I can, I can walk out my my door, my front door or my back door, and I can look to the west, just turn to the side, and I can see the beginning of the front range of the Rocky Mountains just barely a mile away, not even that, maybe a half mile away uh, down the down the road there. And we know he's not talking about that, but he's talking about the big things we face in life, things too big for us to move on our own, problems that we can't fix, relationships, marriage, addictions, financial chaos, depressions, medical diagnoses, life-changing, life-controlling issues. Fixing these things can be like trying to move a mountain. And he says, if you have a little faith in me, we can deal with that mountain. See, in living for God, here's what I've come to know about moving mountains. God can really do it. And he does it in two different ways. The first way he moves mountains is he can move the mountain out of your way completely. He can restore the marriage, the relationship. He can deliver from addictions. He can provide abundant resources, speak life into depression, supernaturally heal any condition. I believe it first because the Bible teaches it. And I believe it second because I've seen it happen and I've received some of that as well. Second way he moves mountains is. He moves your mountain by making it smaller. And what this means is the mountain is still there, but he puts it in the right perspective. Suddenly, God becomes so much 
bigger to us than the mountain. I mean, either way takes faith, right? It takes faith to believe God will move the mountain out of your way, and it takes faith to believe that God is with you as you walk over the mountain. I like to climb mountains, like literally, no, not metaphorically. Um, Especially I live here, like I said, right at the base of the front range of the Colorado Rockies, and um, especially these Colorado 14ers. The 14ers are the mountains. There's like 54 of them, um, or 55, depending on if you count this certain one or not. But um, but um, mountains over 14,000 feet high. Those are the tallest mountains in, in Colorado. And um, I've climbed several of them. And Vicky and I, my wife, we're planning on doing one here before too long. Um, it's, getting that, it's that time of year to, to do it. And most of them have well-worn obvious trails to the top. A lot of them do, most of them, but but not all of them. I mean, if you've never done it, I've been on some mountains where it was sometimes a little difficult to navigate. Um, if you don't have some sort of a guide, I have I have books with graphs that, that kind of teach, that kind of help me and, and GPS points and stuff like that. Um, you don't know where to go or how to get through certain obstacles. That's why it's good to have those those maps or notes from someone else, or it's good to have someone with you who has successfully hiked it before you. It's even better when your when your companion is the one who made the mountain. And now again, now I'm switched to speaking metaphorically. And he says, "Look, I know this is difficult and the trail is treacherous, but it's gonna be worth it. Just wait until you see the view from the top." Look, I, I I've spent years living. Um, living near sea level, all right? And there were no mountains to climb, but now I've seen the view from the top. And whatever difficulty you need to overcome to get there is often forgotten as you take in that spectacular, breathtaking view. It makes it that much more rewarding knowing the obstacles and the trials and the treacherous trails you had to overcome to get to the top. And now, I don't want to go back to living at sea level. That's nothing against, I mean, again, I'm speaking metaphorically. Literally speaking, we just got back from California just yesterday and uh, spent time at Huntington Beach there, and it was just absolutely gorgeous and loved it. And a big part of me thinks, I could live somewhere like this, you know? But now in the metaphorical sense, I don't want to go back to living at sea level. It's not been an easy road. There's been mountains in the way. Life is is like climbing one huge mountain with all of these obstacles, isn't it? And he says, I want you to come to me on faith. And going kind of going back to the beginning of, of this podcast with the mount with when they were on the mountain and they were at the top and it was so amazing. And God says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him, you know. And what an amazing experience that that was for them. But the metaphorical trail to get to where they were, they had to overcome their own unbelief. And they came to believe and have faith in Jesus for who he was on their own. And then after that, God gave them these supernatural, undeniable proofs. Then he started talking to them about faith. Look, you're going to have mountains in your life. There's going to be things that you're not going to be able to overcome on your own. And sometimes it's because we get to thinking about more of ourselves than than on God and and we think if only I could do this. If only I was a better Christian. If only I had more faith, right? We say that, don't we? 
And so we put the outcome based on us and who we are instead of who God is. But if we have just that little bit of faith in Jesus that says, that says, Lord, I trust you. Well, that changes everything. And your mountain, he can move that out of your way, or he can make it so small that you just walk right on over that because you know that he's with you. You can walk over it, through it. Well, I hope that this has been a very uh, challenging and yet inspiring episode of the Everyday Life Bible Study Podcast. Uh, we face mountains in life. It seems to be the common experience of humanity. And no matter where you are on planet Earth, you know, the mountains might look a little differently, but we're all facing them. But I want you to know we have a God who loves us, who'll get us through this. Just take your focus off of yourself and put that little bit of faith into Jesus. All right? Hey, God bless you. Again, if this has been a blessing to your life, then I encourage you to head over to iTunes, leave us a good review there and some comments. Surely appreciate that. I want you to know I don't see you right now, but I love you and I'm praying for you. Until next time, my prayer is that the Bible would come alive in your everyday life.